For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and today's show is a normal feature of our show, Free Rider Friday. Welcome to Free Rider Friday, Ron. Welcome, Ed. I'm thrilled to be here. And bursting with your stack of stuff that you brought, yes, I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, we want to remind people that they certainly can call in if they want a free ride with us. They can call 1-866-472-5790, and we'd be happy to take your calls if you want to contribute to the Free Rider Friday. Actually, Ron, if you think about it, just making us, let, let us free ride a little bit more if they call in. Yeah, so or tweet us. Or tweet us at hashtag AskTSOE, and we do monitor that during the show. So please give that a shot, and we'd love to to hear what you have to say. In fact, I know... I've got one in my stack of stuff that is from a listener, Ron. So, in fact, why don't we just do that right away? I want to talk a little bit about what our friend Hector sent us with regard okay. to Free Rider Friday. And his uh, he, he just sent us a quick you know, email about uh, – and with different links to Netflix and others offering unlimited paid parental leave. Right. And – there was one interesting one there. It was a TED Talk, and I, I did look at it, but I can't remember the person's name who delivered it. And it was, it was actually very well delivered. And I, I don't think you and I are against parental leave in any way, right? We, if, as long as, and let's just state this quickly, it's a private organization, and they think that it's a good idea in the interest of employee engagement and uh, you know team member flexibility and creativity and culture that they offer it we just don't think that it should be a government imposed idea right so any thoughts on that uh, do you, do you no, have I mean, a- uh, other than if you look at european countries that have uh, some scandinavian countries i believe have incredibly liberal uh parental leave for both the mom and the dad and, um, you know, I remember Rabbi Lappin doing a show once and he's got six daughters and a son. He said, if I did this, I would have literally had, you know, four or five years <laughs> <laughs> of doing nothing and, and get paid for it. You know, mm-hmm. not that raising kids is doing nothing, but you know what I mean? It's just, it stultifies a labor, labor mobility and it just, you know, it, it raises the cost of hiring people, which means you'll get less of it, which is why the European Union has such a high unemployment problem and long-term unemployment problem. They just don't have as mobile a labor force as we do because of restrictions like that and regulations like that. 
well, it's also difficult to fire people. But yeah, I mean, it's the same same kind of deal, right? Is that when you put these restrictions in, we have to see this. Of course, what several people would argue for is, well, from a societal standpoint, it's it's well worth that investment, Ron. So. <laughs> well, it is too from a parental standpoint. So the question is, should the parents invest in it? Should society? So I say leave it up to the parents. Right. And I, as with any individual decision, I mean, I think these things are clearly difficult. I, you know, I, when, when I owned a small company, we had, I thought, a very, let's call it liberal parental leave in that we, we would give, we paid for six weeks of parental leave plus vacation if people wanted to tack that on in addition. They didn't have to, but they could. And if they had accumulated any sick time, they could add that on as well. But honestly, we were a small organization, you know, going from anywhere between maybe eight people and to upwards of 20. So for us, especially when we were eight people, to lose one person, I mean, that's 12% of the workforce of the organization. That That's difficult. That's difficult to do. Um, and And in addition to that, uh, we, we had the policy where someone could actually stay out for a year. They would only be paid up through their... Uh, their their vacation sick and of course the six weeks now if they wanted to they could go on short term or even long term disability which was we did offer that insurance but then in addition we did say hey listen we'll we will keep a job at the same salary level of open for you if you want to stay stay out a year mm-hmm. right that mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily the same job. But it, we we promised that you if you came back you would stay at basically the same salary level. But you, at, by that point we might have replaced your particular position, and you might be looking at at, at looking at doing something else. So. Right. And and you know I think another unintended consequence is that especially when the government mandates something like this, is it might make companies less likely to hire people of parental age, right? And, mm. you, you know um, that that that's something, you, and and I think that's why they do both sides now. Where before that made companies maybe discriminate against women, you know, that were <laughs> still young and fertile. But um, by giving it to the guys, maybe it makes maybe it, it lessens that a little bit. But it's still an issue. No, clearly it's still an issue, especially in the smaller organizations. In fact, that's what one of the videos was a John Oliver thing where he was talking about all of the exceptions and. You know, sometimes I, John Oliver is very funny, but sometimes I just wish I could give him a good economics lesson. Uh, yeah, John Oliver, like typical Brit, doesn't understand economics. <laughs> Read your countryman, Adam Smith, y- for yes. God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take our word for it. <laughs> well, thanks for that, Hector. I, I appreciate you submitting uh, that idea. That's great. Yep. So what do you got, Ron? What's in your stack of stuff? All right, Ed. Harvard Business Review. I love it when I uh, agree with Harvard, or maybe I should say I love it when they agree with us. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> That's probably true. Art, uh, Art Markman, who happens to be a PhD of uh, the University of Texas at Austin. Yeah, okay. Uh, professor of Psychology and Marketing. Um, wrote a blog post on November 30th called To Get More Creative become less productive. Mm. So this fits the theme of our very first show, the whole Frederick Taylor efficiency, the whole efficiency versus effectiveness, Mm -hmm. that debate. He starts by saying, you know, there's a fundamental tension between productivity and creativity. Well, yeah. (laughs) 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 To to be efficient, you have to use your time, you know, wisely, Mm -hmm. but 
to be creative, you actually kind of have to waste time, mm-hmm. right? You kind of have to waste time to, to, to make time. And creativity needs time and space to grow. And, and uh, we can't systematize creativity, right? And since right. creativity is fundab- fundamentally about knowledge, connecting things, ideas, different concepts, it, you know, it could just be having a rambling conversation with a colleague that makes you look like a loafer, but you actually might be germinating a new, very creative idea. And so it's, it's nothing we haven't talked about before here, Ed, but one mm-hmm. of the things that I thought was interesting about this um, he, he did say that, you know, we can, everybody talks about Google's 20% time. And you can talk about, you know, whether or not they've been really successful in implementing that and how it works. But his point is broader than that. He said there's no doubt that a company needs to hire more people than it needs. It should hire 10 or 20% more people than it needs to do its given level of tasks so people can have that white space to be creative and innovative and come up with new ideas. So it kind of goes back to our capacity management idea so he was just kind of reiterating some of the concepts but in a little bit different way than we have well i mean i'm just thinking as you're talking through that and i and i did see that that post and 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 briefly read it as well you know that that doesn't that fly in the face though of quote fiduciary responsibility right to hire 10 to 20 percent more people than you actually need (laughs) <laughs> right and 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 it also flies in the, the the face of every management book that will say we need we need to eliminate waste inside the organization and pare down and run lean and mean and do less with more absolutely i know i know that's that's why i think if you look at companies like apple and google and disney and pixar you know they're probably over overstaffed um because they follow these creativity principles well i wouldn't say they're overstaffed Ron. i would say that they're right staffed Right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, but the, you know they, what I mean. O- over for what their what their current capacity is or their current requirements are. Well, sure. I mean, but any any business, it really, you know, and this is something I try to explain, especially in professional firms, Ron. Right, and you've seen this a ton of times. Is everybody wants to grow top line revenue and get bigger, and then but the, the, but then they want to add capacity afterwards. I'm like, okay, you you've got it bass backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Right. <laughs> you, hey, if you want, you have to first grow capacity first, and then increase your revenue. I mean, it, it, the capacity has to be there and ready. You can't add capacity when you need it on the fly like that. Especially with knowledge workers, it's just absolutely insane. You know, you end up with. I was reminded recently of this, Ron. Remember, we used to play this video clip. Uh, it was a, a conversation that was taking place on uh, on the show Hogan's Heroes. Oh yes, right between uh, General, what is it, General Burkhalter Bo- or whatever, Burkhalter, Burkhalter, something like that, and 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 Clink, and uh, and it's, and and Clink says, I, I, yes, I shall. Uh, do you want? Do you want me to do this, General, with my normal Clink efficiency? <laughs> and Burkhalter goes, No, this time I want it done right. <laughs> it's such a great line. Such a great line. And the other thing that that whole thing illustrates, Ed, is we should have used that as one of our moral hazard of measurement examples. Because here's Colonel Clink running this, uh, you know, prisoner camp, and he's got you know 100 percent record, right? No escapes. Right. So yeah. his efficiency yeah, yeah. rating looks fantastic, but he's not at all effective because he's got this whole underground network, you know, right under his nose. No, I know. <laughs> such a great show, and I don't know how they. 
would get away with it today on TV for sure. It's just, just absolutely crazy. But I, I've always actually wondered about that. I know this is off topic, but I think it's hysterically funny. So the, can you mention like the execs, even back in the day, what was that? In the, I think that came out in the 60s, right? 60s, Mid 60s, because yes. it was color. So yep. it, it couldn't have been too old. But, you know, sitting around the production room, hey, I got an idea for a situation comedy. We're, <laughs> It's going to take place in a prisoner of war camp in Nazi Germany. Germany. (laughs) You know, that's a good idea. Hey, yeah, let's do this. (laughs) It was like a Bing Crosby production, too, you know. It was a Bing Crosby production. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was. Now that you say that, I totally remember that. And And, and, and Colonel Klink was Jewish. As was Schultz. Yeah, Yeah. as was Schultz. That's right. I think that's part of how they got, you know, around that. And of course, you know, uh, know, the joke about Hogan's Heroes is, yeah, it's it's like learning about the Holocaust from watching Hogan's Heroes, right? Or learning about North Korea watching MASH. I mean, they just ignored the topic completely. Oh, right. Exactly. And it was it was just it, it was just a good foil for the, you know, the different sit- wacky situations that people got into sort of like, you know, Gilligan's Island, the backstory of all that. But, right. Right. Yeah, pretty interesting. But but I do love I love that line about, the, as you said, the normal, the, the usual clink efficiency. No, I want it done right. <laughs> and that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> But, you know, Ed, back to this Harvard, just one last thing, just given our show of, of, you know, shut up and eat your French fries and the power of good questions, right? How much human capital is your organization investing in creating and testing new ideas? And if the answer to that is real, not very much, then I think that's a serious problem. Well, clearly, I mean, and 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 by definition, right? Efficiency and innovation—I'm sorry, um, innovation and creativity—are by definition inefficient. There's no other way around that, and you can't make them efficient. You can't go be creative now. Wow. <laughs> no, it's the antithesis of of uh, creativity, efficiency, yeah. is, and that's one of our our harangues against the lean Six Sigma folks. But um, anyway, I just thought it was a pretty good article, so we'll definitely post that up on the show notes so people can read it and draw their own conclusions. But in the meantime, folks, we need to uh, remind you that we know a lot of you listen on demand, and it'd be really great if you could go to iTunes and rate the show and write a review, and also if you want to send. Uh, me or Ed an email like Hector did and suggest topics or future shows, go ahead and do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? 
I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Friday, everyone. I am just so excited about this. And of course, for those of you who are listening to our show for the first time, normally Ron and I talk about some very topical show, so something about a specific issue that we've come across in business. But at once a month, usually the last Friday of a month, but in December, because of the holidays, we had to move it around a little bit. We free ride, and so what we do is we talk about issues that are just of interest to us that have come up over the last month and things that we want to. Uh, talk about more things that might be in the news. And I've got one for you, Ron, that affects me directly. So this is, it's a little, little, little personal to a certain extent. Uh There is a, there is a part of. going to start an income tax. No, well, God forbid. (laughs) God forbid. But, but uh, it is, it is Texas related and that we have a, a situation where a, uh, an organization called Teladoc has been banned by well hasn't been banned let me let me let me explain you, you, the the Texas Board of Physicians and Surgeons I believe has said that unless you establish a doctor patient relationship you cannot provide medical advice using a telephone or a Skype conversation or anything like that yes okay? yes and by establish a doctor patient relationship they mean you must have have been seen face to face by this physician before now this kind of flies in the face of what teledoc is trying to do in their business model which is to provide people a, a, a something that they can do that's you know not quite let's rush to the emergency room but it is two o'clock in the morning and I want to get some professional advice sure sure right and uh, you know this is this is this is a problem. You know, sort, sort of. But what what the, the the Texas board has done here is sort of like the wineries, right? That they they yes, we'll we'll be happy to sell to you, but first you have to come visit us and sign up for our mailing list, and we have to see you face to face. Yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> the concept of mail order seems to elude the wineries completely. Well, it's actually the the regulators, right? Right. And right. Th- and this is it. So this is a, this is a huge problem. You know, this this. this this organization has been in operation for years in Texas with little to no issues, you know, because they do say if, if, if you're feeling, you know, chest pains or whatever, go, you know, get yourself to an emergency room, call 911, right? Uh, and, it, and they've operated the same way in, in other states, again, with little or no major issues at all. It's not going to be a perfect solution, right? 
And what has happened in, in Texas is that this is a, a board of 18 people all appointed by the, the, the governor, right? 17 of 18 are physicians. Sure. I'm right? surprised so, one that's not even. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right, and and they have deemed in their ruling that just came down that this in the interest of safety, you know, we have to save the children. Run have to protect the public. Have to protect the public that this is not safe. Although that then they offer no evidence to the contrary, and they don't have to because nope. they are aboard now. What I think is interesting, though, is that this is going to run up against a newly decided Supreme Court case that came out in, in uh, I think 2015, earlier this year. Right, which is uh, North Carolina Board of Dentists versus the FTC. Mm-hmm. Right, I, I'm not sure who to root for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll take the dentist side. Okay, well, you're gonna take the dentist side. Well, you you would be wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, 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 the Supreme Court has ruled that that. If a because what it, what it was this was a very similar uh, blockage this the the North Carolina Board of Dentists wanted to stop people from getting their teeth whitened oh right 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 okay in, yes I know what you're talking about yes right in in mail key mail yes. uh, I'm sorry mall kiosks and stuff right, like right. that right yep so uh, they, they they ruled that they had to shut those down because that was practicing dentistry without a license yada 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 okay but but it did roll all the way up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled that no and weirdly enough oddly enough the the people that were defending this was the FTC the Federal yes, Trade Commission yeah. right it's unusual but yeah sometimes I they're know. right sometimes well, they- <laughs> even a stop clock can be right twice you know a day <laughs> there you go and. <laughs> Uh, they did win the case. The FTC did win the case, and it said that if the board consists m- of a majority of market actors, then they must be subject to state oversight. Because right now, the mo- a lot of these boards, while they are appointed by the state, there is zero oversight of the state. So they can literally make legislation, I mean, they c- out of whole cloth, that everyone must agree to. And they're not elected in any way. I mean, just just appointed by previous gov- you know, governors or or uh, uh, depending upon the, the the state legislators. It it. I mean, it just seems crazy to me the um, the amount of power that some of these boards are wielding. So anyway, I wanted to offer that up. What, what yeah, are your no, thoughts on that? It, uh, you know, look, one third of occupations now uh, are are licensed in some manner, and the licensing comes from the state. And because, uh, you know, the residual powers in the Constitution, right, the Tenth Amendment, uh, occupations come fall under the jurisdiction of state licensure for the most part. And every group wants to, to get a license. And it's always in the guise of protecting the public. This is how you end up with interior decorators and floral arrangers. And, you know, I think yeah, even the shoe shine people in Washington, D.C. Uh, can't do it on the street. You know, they have to be in an airport or a barbershop or whatever because it's like food trucks, right, that mm-hmm. can't be near a restaurant. And they, there's just all of these incredible restrictions on just small entrepreneurs that want to do hair braiding or teeth whitening or, or whatever. In fact, I think I was telling you, I read a book on occupational licensure and it kind of broke it down by state and it kind of ranked states on which were the freest and the least free. Mm-hmm. And the authors were from the Institute of Justice, which is a libertarian legal fund that actually sues these states on behalf of the, you know, the business person trying to operate their business without a license. Right. And, and they're quite successful. Love this 
outfit, IJ, and they said in Illinois, it's so complicated in certain jurisdictions like Chicago mm-hmm. that there's actually a, a pe- people you can hire and there's a name for them and I forget the name that will help you, you know, wade through the regulations. Right. Well, now that group wants to have its own licensing. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Come on. <laughs> I'll have to get the name. I'll have to get the name of that, and I'll try and post it in the show notes. But there is, they are. I read that, and I just they do that to themselves. It's just hilarious. It's just absolute. But it's because all these occupations want to restrict competition, right? So they want to keep people out, and I think that's what's obviously going on with Teladoc and Uber and Airbnb, and you know, you can go down the list with this. But it's 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 as old as uh, it's as old as time, or at least as old as states started you know, licensing occupations. Well, yeah. And, and by the way, one of them in the state of Texas, which, you know, really absurd is, is people who shampoo hair got to be licensed to shampoo yeah. hair. I mean, it's just nuts. Okay. Wait, last quick question on this, Ron, before we leave this subject. Cause I, so it, this was a six, three decision, right? In the Supreme court want to take a shot at who the dissenting three were. Oh boy. I hope it wasn't uh, Thomas or Scalia. You've got two out of three. <laughs> oh, well, I'd One love more to, re- to go. One more what to go. Is- One more dissenter to go. It would have been Alito. Oh, Alito. I was going to say Roberts, but you know, Alito. Okay. <laughs> what and what's their logic? I, I, well, you know, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess I, I didn't read the dissent. I, you know, yeah. so I won't, I won't speculate. I'll, I should read, I should read the dissent and try and try to figure that out. But I mean, I, I'm. Under the category of shake my head, hashtag SMK, SMH, I'm sorry, SMH. All right, you're up. All right. Um, well, I think I was telling you about, well, let me let me do this one because I know we've got only four minutes or so till the break. But um, did you know, Ed, that crystal meth labs are heaviest in the Bible belt? Yes, night sounds about right. Okay. In the same communities where there's the stiffest restrictions on the sale of alcohol. Wow. So the question is whether alcohol is a complement to or a substitute for drugs, right? And lifting the band on alcohol would lead to a drop in meth use. Now, a group of of economists thinks that it would, Mm -hmm. that the sale about legalizing the sale of alcohol in these communities would result in a 37% drop in meth production in dry counties in Kentucky or by 25% in the state overall, for example. So, Ed, here we go. The okay. Baptists. Yeah, who Reinsta- are the bootleggers and Baptists in this Reinstating one? Reinstating prohibition, perhaps meth dealers <laughs> would join the ranks of supporters. <laughs> <laughs> so who's the bootlegger and who's the Baptist in that? Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, in 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 that, it would literally be the meth dealers would be the 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 Baptists. The, the Baptists. Oh my gosh! Wow. Isn't that great? That's awesome. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that because we we love the bootleggers <laughs> and Baptist uh, metaphor. But I just thought this was a real kind of modern twist on it. it's right out of Breaking Bad, right? It is right out of Breaking Bad. And just Ron, for the listeners who haven't listened to previous shows, just quickly run down the bootlegger Baptist theory. 
Oh, it's uh, well during prohibition, right? The the Baptists who were uh, all for prohibition uh, teamed up with the bootleggers who also were for prohibition to keep the black market going because they were making a lot of money illicitly selling this stuff. So, yeah, yeah, and what and what we find is that there's bootlegger Baptist coalitions in all over the place uh, in, in when, lots and yeah, lots of different but, areas. With respect to government regulation or laws, uh, didn't you bring up once, Ed, on one of the free riders, the uh, the whole vaping? Yeah. And, and how the cigarette companies, mm-hmm. uh, or, or I forget who the bootleggers were and Baptists were in that example, but there was there was an example there. It was really good. Well, the, yeah, the cigarette companies are, are basically the, 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 the bootleggers because they're providing a competing product. What is, what is fascinating there is that the... The other, the other one that is interesting is is legalized full legalization of marijuana, especially in the state of California. Right. You know who's trying to block that? The medical marijuana uh, people. Oh, the medical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I remember that. Like, yeah, we talked. Yeah. It's like what? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. But anyway, fat, yes, fat, that's a good one, Ron. That is a really good one. Bootlegger well, it's Baptist, interesting, it's interesting Ed, to see the, uh, the the concentration of these meth labs, like the the, the big you know uh, Missouri and Indiana and Tennessee and North Carolina and, and Kentucky, obviously, and Florida. And whereas in Texas, you know, there's there's not many in, Ca- in California. It's about the same. Um, but yeah, they really seem to be really kind of concentrated more in the Bible Belt area. It was really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I'll have to check my, you know, Walter White chemistry book, but I, I don't understand. It must, I guess, it's easier to produce than alcohol, even then, because otherwise they would just make moonshine. So I, I don't know. I'd have to have to figure out why why that why that is why crystal meth maybe the the high is better than alcohol pound for pound or. Ounce Remember the pound. drunk on uh, on uh, Andy Griffith? Uh, oh yeah, Otis. Otis. Yeah, maybe he was maybe he was dipping into the math. <laughs> Could be. Could be. <laughs> All right. Well, Ron, we're up against our second break. We want to remind everyone that they can view show notes as well as previews on thesoulofenterprise.com. We do take your questions at ask to TSOE. That's A S K T S O E at Verisage.com. As as well as using the hashtag Ask TSOE during Twitter. And those of you who do want to get a hold of us, if you're listening live, please call in at 866-472-5790. But right now, we're going to hear from our sponsor, Peter Wolf and Azamba. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. 
Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Well done by our engineer Matt mixing up the Mannheim steamroller and the free rider Friday. I mean, that is awesome. <laughs> Great job, Matt, on that. He's gonna, now he's got to surprise us because he's done one of each. So we have to see if we're going to get the Mannheim for the last break or we're going to get another free rider. Love it. <laughs> Love it. So, hey, Ron, I've been uh, d- dominating this one. So let me throw one out as kind of a follow on to one that we talked about last time, which was the fact that. IBM Watson has an analytics community as well as an application that you can actually send data in and it's free, right? To analyze that. We talked about that, right? Right, right. Yeah. But but this one is, it's a downloadable app on your iPhone called IBM Watson Trend. Okay. And and it's really only looking at three different subjects, tech, toys, and health. And it was put together... To uh, for really for the for the holiday shopping season, so that people could see what are trending in these different areas. So you basically click on the app, and then you click on. You can actually look at all categories too, but then you can look at, uh, let's say, the category of toys, and it will show you what are the most talked about toys on the internet, right? But then the really neat thing is as as you flip through that, and by the way, right now, currently, Lego Star Wars is number one. uh, (laughs) Yeah, in the health area, Nike running shoes are number one. And in tech, let's say, is Samsung TVs. Second Mm. is Apple Watch, by the way, right? Mm. And it kind of gives you a percentage. So the the Samsung TV is at 100%, so it's got the highest. And then uh, the Apple Watch is now at 99%. But if I click on Apple Watch... Basically, a story comes up, and it, it says, here, ju- I'll just read a little bit of it. Since the release of the Apple Watch, discussions have been mostly very positive with few detractors. With the release of Watch OS 2.0, many issues that early adopters had were resolved. In general, people love the aesthetic appeal of the Apple Watch as well as the app notifications, Through though some folks pine for the more classic round design. Okay, blah, 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 blah after that. All right, that was all written by IBM Watson. Watson. Mm-hmm. Wow. Zero interaction from human beings. It's just Watson looking at those three trend areas and then what are they and then writing up a story. And then in addition to the the quick story, it also gives you the trend analysis and numbers behind it, some what people are saying, the most popular pictures of it. And this is all done you know, behind the scenes by an IBM Watson computer just looking at these trends. Watch out, journalists. You know, Ed, they've already, in, in, in Forbes and Fortune, a lot of the earnings reports and, and you know, basic data about companies are, are being generated by programs 
No human involvement whatsoever. Unreal. So that's awesome. I have yep. to check that out. The Watson yep. app. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What do you got? All right. I got uh, Wall Street Journal winning the right to save your own life by Darcy Olson. Darcy Olson is the president of the Goldwater Institute ah. and is the author of the book, The Right to Try. That's coming out, I believe, this month, or maybe it was November. Um, this is from November 26th, uh, Wall Street Journal, so we'll post this up. But at 40% of cancer patients in the U.S. attempt to join a clinical trial, and only 3% succeed. So hundreds of thousands, according to her, who want access to promising new medicines can't get them. And it, you know, she, she's talking about one specific type of cancer, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. It's a fatal lung disease, kills about 40,000 Americans. And a company, a U.S. company, Interimmune, has developed a, a protocol for this, but uh, it hasn't, <laughs> hasn't been approved by the uh, FDA yet. Mm. And so, you know, the... <laughs> 24 states have passed right-to-try laws because of the FDA's compassionate use program, which it likes to brag, they approve, uh, you know, 90-some percent uh, of people who apply, about 1,800 a year, get approved. But what they don't tell you is that 99% of the patients never even complete the application. It takes over 100 hours to complete now, I would what? imagine that's 100 hours of both doctor and patient okay, time. Okay, okay, okay. If you've got a fatal disease, I'm sure you don't want to spend a week or two, you know, <laughs> of your precious remaining months uh, filling out paperwork and triplicate, you know, for the FDA. For the FDA, yeah. <laughs> and get this, because companies can't charge for treatments in this program above their costs, there's little financial incentive for them to participate in the compassionate use. So these right-to-try laws, uh, she fleshes out a little bit more detail than I think I had last time I discussed this. But th these, are, these are drugs that have passed phase one safety trials in the FDA's clinical you know, trial. There's three phases, I guess. And right. these are ones that have passed the first phase. So. They're waiting phase two and phase three, but now in these states, in these 24 states, you can get access to them. And I, I just, you know, <laughs> I just love what she says at the end of this, Ed. She says, each year, hundreds of thousands, again, her numbers, of Americans die without getting access to promising treatments. This is unnecessary, immoral, and the worst kind of bureaucratic overreach. No one should have to beg the federal government for the right to save his own life. Yeah, I, well, I, I totally agree. But so maybe we should get the FTC to sue the FDA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you know your state, Texas, Florida, Virginia, and again, twenty-one others have mm -hmm. passed these. But my state, California, which would have been the twenty-fifth state, the governor vetoed the bill after it passed the legislature, and his reasoning, he said, literally. This is a statement at the veto signing. Patients with life-threatening conditions should be able to try experimental drugs, and the United States Food and Drug Administration's Compassionate Use Program allows this to happen. 
but only after an hour, a hundred hours worth right. of paperwork, yada, yada, yada. Right. And which 99% of the people decide not to do because it probably has a lot to do with their doctors just not telling them, look, it's just not going to do this. It's just too much of a hassle. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the, these doctors have high, high degrees of specialization anyway. They don't really, you know, oftentimes have time to be doing stuff like that. You know? And, and uh, they did, she does say in here that the FDA has promised to get this down to a one page. Um, you know, uh, procedure for the compassionate okay. use, but this is a promise. She says it hasn't fulfilled. Right. Well, the, 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 by when? Right is always the question. Yeah. <laughs> After how many more thousands of people? You know, and and look, I realize a lot of these people are going to die anyway. So it's not like you can tag, you know, the entire death onto the FDA. But this just is, you know, one more nail in the coffin. I think of this agency. That um, you know, probably on balance, has killed more people than it's saved. Oh, I, I think that's that's true. There's some there's some really interesting figures on that. Although they're they're getting harder and harder to find. I think the the the, the folks that the powers that be try to suppress those because I I've got a a book somewhere that references a bunch of these articles, peer reviewed stuff. Yep. And yep. You, it's really hard to find them. You got to dig it and dig and dig and dig. It, it's true. I, in, in fact, I was just hearing, listening to somebody saying, oh, well, there's no evidence for this. Well, at the University of Chicago, there's an economist, Sam Peltzman, who's done just human's work on on this very topic. Right. And, and he believes beyond a shadow of a doubt that the evidence points that the FDA has killed far more people than it's saved uh, yeah. by, by, you know, testing the efficacy of drugs. So uh, the, the, there is evidence out there. Well, two quick questions on this run as you were reading this through is what in the states with the right to try laws, what do they do about the whole profit motive thing? Do they do they say you can't charge over cost there or do they allow the drug companies to sell above she, cost? She didn't address that. And that was okay. one of the things I was worried about, wondering about, too. My guess, though, is, Ed, that they it, those laws might be silent on that. Just mm-hmm. because they wouldn't, why wouldn't you want to give the companies the incentive, right, to sell? Well, right, or at cost. least if it's approved by through the, the insurance companies or what have you. But you know, and then and then the other thing is is well, this has got to be challenged, right? Because the supremacy clause is at stake here. I mean, the it, FDA has got to challenge it. These I, laws. I, and she didn't touch. She didn't touch that issue either. And uh, so, yeah, that's going to be really interesting, isn't it, to see if the FDA steps up to challenge it. I would think they would have to because they, 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 it's on the line if they don't, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, that, it, well, but may, maybe not because this is the, the same thing because it's the FDA, right, that has the uh, the medical marijuana or the, the mar- Schedule 1 drugs, right? I think, yeah, it's the FDA, clearly. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, that, so I mean, and they have, have not really challenged that so much, well, especially under the Obama administration. He did – Lesson it, thank God, in his second term. His first term, he was prosecuting more drug raids than George Bush, which I thought was interesting. But in his second term, he's definitely stood down on prosecuting states that have passed mar- medical marijuana and and uh, and free or, or unlimited or not uh, use of marijuana as an over the counter. Right, right, yeah. And this is kind of the same uh, same state right federal issue right i mean the it is oh yeah i mean even in i know from a, just a tax perspective just talking to cpas who who you know are cpas for some medical marijuana folks where it's legal colorado and whatnot um mm-hmm. 
I, I didn't know this, Ed, but when you, when you file your federal income tax return, the only thing these medical marijuana dispensaries can deduct is the actual cost of goods sold because it's illegal. They can't deduct anything else. Mm. They can't deduct rent and, and, you know, get, and of course, you know, they have troubles getting bank accounts and all of that too. But, right. um, you know, and it's because of the disparity between the feds law and the state laws. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's only a matter of time, in my opinion, before we have legalized marijuana throughout the country. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's less than a decade away, I would think. I would hope so. But I, I'm really encouraged by these right to try laws. I think that's great. So we've got 20, 24 states and counting. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> if I ever need one, I'm heading to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I well, don't have we'll be them. Here. We'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're up against our third gra- third break, and we want to remind you that you can reach us at TS- AskTSOE at VerisAge.com via email. And, of course, hashtag AskTSOE. Well, love for you to review the show and our book on iTunes and or Amazon.com, depending upon which of those two you're looking at. But right now, we want to hear from my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Friday and Ed, you're up. Oh, I'm up. All right. Well, I hope this is a short one here. There's a story that came out. I believe this was where Huffington Post that Netflix should ditch its unlimited vacation policy. Oh, why? (laughs) He says after the question has been begged um, because people are not taking vacation, Ron. Oh. Right. And the CEO 
his name is Reed Hastings, takes six weeks off, and he says he does this to set an example. But when they investigated this, they found that very few people other than him actually take the six-week policy. So their feeling is, is that this unlimited vacation, while it seems, quote, seems generous, but it doesn't seem like his own employees are really going crazy with it. <laughs> Boy, doesn't this support the logic for a row? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know? it, it definitely supports the logic for a row. But but what I what I row. But what I what I find interesting is, you know, come on here. So because people are not using it, they should institute a limitation so that people will use it. I mean, it's you know, uh, it, that doesn't make sense to me. So yeah. you, the, the the idea, okay, yes, if they if they had a six week policy, then people would take it. Well, maybe, maybe not. And why should why should he back off his un, unlimited when he wants it to be unlimited? Yeah. Anyway, that is interesting. Now it's a you know human human behavior, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You would think people, you know, would uh, try and give them an inch, right? They take a mile. Well, when you give them an eye, mile, maybe they only go an inch. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, you got one. All right, I do, Ed. Since 2004, Google has teamed up with libraries across the country to scan over 20 million titles of books, mm-hmm. right? To get them into Google Books and put them in the dub- public domain. Um, users cannot read um, entire books on Google Books unless they are in the public domain. Well, uh, about a decade ago, a group of alarmed authors sued Google over this. Now, this wasn't the suit that my publisher um, was a member of. These were actually brought by authors. um, And a federal district court ruled in favor of the Internet giant in 2013. And the authors appealed in the Second Circuit Court in New York. (laughs) It, 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 It ruled in favor of Google once again. Oh, wow. And okay. They said the copyright laws give potential creators the exclusive right to copy their own work, but it's not all about enriching the authors. The ultimate primary intended beneficiary is the public. And that's right from the court's decision. So, you know, they said Google can certainly do it. And um, it, it's just great. I mean, right now, I guess Google supplies only about three eighths of a page of snippets from every book. But what makes it really cool to have all these books digitized is you can search them for key phrases. Right. So let's say you were a historian and you wanted to know when a phrase or a word, you know, came into usage or, you know, whatever you could do that going through Google Books, and then you could read snippets or, you know, extracted pages from the book. So I, I just think this is a fantastic thing. Um, as somebody who's got $90 books out there, yeah, I, I guess I, I want people to be able to access my books for free because most authors don't make their money from writing books unless you're J.K. Rowling. <laughs> right, right. It's the speaking engagement, especially in the business book area for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just thought that was interesting that the copyright laws were, you know, kind of given a slap down here by the by the Second Circuit. So I think that's mm-hmm. a move in the right direction with IP law. Yep. Look, look, that doesn't mean you shouldn't buy our book, though, Ron. 
right? Correct. <laughs> yes. The soul of enterprise dialogues <laughs> in the knowledge economy available at Amazon is our, is our friend Greg Kite likes to say. Yes. Yeah, well, absolutely. We'd love for you to read the book and, and we do review it as well. All right. Let me try to get one more short one in here. Uh, and, and that is, this is from NBC News. The DA on, in Manhattan, so New York County DA, would like to have Apple and others, Google, build a backdoor to overcome the encryption on the phone. Mm-hmm. Because this poor guy was unable to execute 111 criminal search warrants on smartphones between September 20, uh, 2014 and October 2015 because the devices had encrypted, encrypted technology. Full disk encryption has been a significant hindrance to the investigation and prosecution of crimes because certain types of evidence exist only on smartphones. Smartphone encryption has caused real, not hypothetical roadblocks to our ability to solve and prosecute these crimes. Probably so, but you know what? You build the back door in, you've now destroyed the encryption process. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's the sad reality of this. Hasn't there been other cases on this ad? Didn't Apple just say, no, we're not doing this? Mm-hmm. And, and they've, they've stood firm and on even turning over records like Verizon has and maybe some other carriers. But ha- hasn't this been litigated before? It, it has been, as far as I know, no nobody has been able to to pierce this at all. So, uh, of course, you know the NSA is involved in this as well, and you know they feel that there should be uh, the, the ability to unencrypt everything. You know, trust us, we we're we should be allowed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. So, but you know, the, the problem is, is if you if you know anything about encryption encryption technology, any backdoor makes then the encrypt encryption susceptible to being broken. So sure. by anyone. Sure, sure. Right? So it I mean just makes no sense and especially if you got, you know, some kind of a smartphone, the only way to do it is going to be some kind of a key press sequence, right? And that's uh, guess what? It's going to be figured out or some coder is going to leak it through or so so because somebody can dig in and find what what those things are. So Right. Anyway. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, the last thing I have, Ed, and, and I don't know if we're going to be able to do this justice, but Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin, I know, has a bad reputation, right? It's used by drug dealers, blah, blah, blah. But the point of this is it's the blockchain technology behind Bitcoin that people are looking at saying this is really revolutionary and is going to be just as much of a revolution as double entry bookkeeping. Because simply put, the blockchain is a machine for creating trust. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's, you know, where you've got ledgers in centralized institutions, bureaucracies, banks, clearinghouses, governments, companies, the blockchain is a way to verify a ledger. And so it's got very interesting ramifications. Um, you know, for, for example, Everledger uh, uses the blockchain to protect luxury goods. So it can mm-hmm. specifically identify art or diamonds, right, with specific cuts or whatever. Sure. And, and, and proof of them if they were stolen or whatever. Um, and one of the things, then, this is an article in The Economist, it points out that, you know, this is going to be a big deal. It's, it's going to be um, just as, as, as important as uh, double-entry bookkeeping and even auditing. But this blockchain could put another dent in the profession of auditing. 
Yeah, we've got to do a show on Bitcoin or the blockchain technology because I think you're right. I mean, it, it, it here's the here's the analogy that, as I understand it, and if one of our listeners can correct me on this or or further clarify, I would be very appreciative. But the way that I understand Bitcoin is it's similar to the, the and the blockchain. I should I should say is it similar to having serial numbers on Federal Reserve notes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's issued. It's issued by the system, and in this case of Bitcoin, it's the Bitcoin servers. But there's a serial number, and but at any time on my on the dollar bill, the the government doesn't know where that dollar bill is exactly. Right? They know right. where it was issued. They probably know the bank that where it went into circulation, and then ultimately, once it's destroyed, they'll they'll know you know what bank it came in and where it was destroyed. But they never know exactly where it was in circulation. At least so we think, Ron. So right, we right, think. right, 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 right. <laughs> But so in that way, that so ca- cash is therefore it's anonymous, right? Yeah. Um, but the thing about about Bitcoin or the blockchain is it's not only is it anonymous like that, but it's also f- f- public, open to the public. So right. if you have the key, you could effectively find where all of the serial numbered bills are. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's a great record of the ledger. So I know, Ed, we, need, we, need, we do need to talk about this more, but tell me what we have up for next week. Well, next week we're going to uh, do a show that we have been planning for since we started the show. I wanted to do this and it got bumped at the end of last year. We're going to do business les- lessons from one of my all-time favorite books, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Awesome. I look so forward to that. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage. Supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join myself and Ron next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. 